we're going to continue. Um, just before we um, took a quick break, we were talking about uh, bad fruit and examples of bad fruit. I just want to go over some examples of roots, like what is in the root system? What possibly is this thing, this under the ground stuff that we're talking about? Um, and we're going to dive into that in a sec. Um, one of the things that can be in our root systems that's creating bad fruit is generational issues, okay? That's another whole topic on its own, but different people in our lineage can have opened doors to various things. Some examples can be witchcraft, uh, particular sins that families or generations have gotten into and the propensity has gotten stronger and stronger and those doors are open. If you have two people who are walking along the road and they're guys and they're friends and they... Uh, come across um, some porn, there's a magazine, they come across porn, they look at it together, they go home. Generational flow, if one of them has had the propensity generationally for there to be sexual sin and sexual doors and lust and all of that open and the one, the other one hasn't, that's been a closed, blessing, safe, secure thing generationally, you'll find it's the one with the generational flow that'll have the biggest propensity to continue in that thing. Okay, because there's a lot of things that are bad fruit that if we actually looked generationally, we're under this extreme pressure to go in the same direction because the open doors give us the propensity. Okay, so we can have a propensity to open doors to witchcraft because they're not closed. We can have a propensity to get sick in a particular area. Okay, so it doesn't mean someone without that generationally wouldn't get into it, but the propensity makes it tough for us to skip it in, and often is the reason why the door opens to us at some stage. All right, so we want to close generational doors. So that's a main one. Um, but really, the root system that I'm referring to is our responses to life. Can you all say the word responses? That puts us in a very powerful place because we're not beholden to things having had gone well for us and traumas not having have happened and wounding to have not have happened because really huge and horrific as all of that stuff is, it's our responses to it that get us stuck. You can have three siblings all go through similar things and they're at different places in how well they're doing in life. That's usually to do with responses to things. Okay, I've got a little coaster on my desk that says life is 10% what happened to me and 90% how I responded. Okay, So I'm not saying that that's a definite mathematical um, thing. It was in a little decor shop, and I'm not sure it's been proven to the exact extent, but the principle is there. In the more you get into this heart journey, you realize you're not actually a victim of what has happened in your history, especially zero to six, because you're in a very powerful position if your responses is what's got you stuck. It can feel a little bit like, mm, mm, if there has been a lot of horrific things that have happened to us to go, excuse me, the things going on in my life is my fault. Like, yeah, a little bit. Okay, so the sucky thing, but swallow it now, is actually if you responded in ways that have got you stuck, it's why you're stuck. So the hard part is a lot of the fruit going on in your life is kind of your fault. It's a really tough pill to swallow, but if you can just get past that one, it'll help us to just listen without being in victim mode, okay? There isn't actually a thing as a victim. There is being victimized, and a lot of us in this room have been the victim of something. We've been victimized by something, but actually 
None of us are a victim. We're all powerful people and we all can have thriving lives and none of us are actually stuck as a kingdom concept and all of us can have good fruit. Not one person here, regardless of what you've endured, has an excuse for the bad fruit. Okay? Our bad fruit is kind of our responsibility. And so it's sucky if we have to go backwards down through the trunk of the tree and get into the root system and do the cleanup job. Because it wasn't us who created all of the stuff and the drama and the whatever. Sucky as it is, you're not stuck because we are responsible for our responses to life and the bad fruit is on us. Okay? I just had a thought and it was going to land and it turned around and it went away. So I'm just going to move forward. So I want to explain. <laughs> it nearly, it's like I saw the wheels. And I'm like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. You went away. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> fine. Um, I'd like to e explain, just in case some people here have not had the honor of being trauma-informed, I want to explain how trauma works and what trauma is. Um, and not everyone here has experienced trauma. Everyone here has experienced wounding. To be on this earth is to experience wounding. Trauma is like excessively strong wounding. Okay, so all of us in life have had our hearts wounded because there's other things on this earth called humans. Okay, and we're very good at wounding each other. So we've all had wounding experiences. For some people, it was mainly at school. It was, um, or mainly in a church, or mainly from a next door neighbor, or mainly a granddad mainly your parents, mainly your siblings, but we've all experienced wounding. Um, there's a chart that I'm going to briefly work us through quite fast. Um, if we stick it on the screen, I think it's that one. Um, it's what we're going to do is work through column two. Okay, so we're going to zone in soon. But what I'm going to do is explain traumas and wounding. And there's a type A trauma and there's type B trauma. And we can be really impacted equally by both. Um, along the bottom of the chart is how we get freedom from each of those things that are on the top of the chart. So trauma or wounding is something that we need to know how to help people have freedom from. And the way we do it is down the bottom, in the bottom yellow. Healing trauma prayers for healing of original wounding. Forgiveness is something we need to help with people. It's at the top. The way we do it, forgive others, self and God. Bitter root judgments I'm going to get on to. How do we heal? It's down the bottom. There's a confession and repentance. Bitter root expectancies can be why we're stuck in bad fruit. How do we get out of them? Confess and renounce. It's down the bottom. Inner vows can be another reason as to why we're stuck in bad fruit. How do we get out of them? It's down the bottom. Uh, and then lastly, foundational lies. I'm going to unpack a little bit about what shame is. How do we get out of that? We renounce the lies that we're in agreement with. All of these are about 50-minute teachings through Elijah House. So I'm going to, again, just a stone across the top of the surface. And I'm not going to rush it because if we don't finish it, we've got next week um, to go on to as well, as well as some other healing culture stuff that I want to get into next week. That's great to have in a church or in a team or in a home or in a job. Okay, so let's do the first column. So trauma or wounding, we're going to zone in on that one. Okay, so there's type A trauma and there's type B trauma. I'm going to start with type B trauma because it's the type that we know the most in this world. We see it on the movies. We, um, it's on the news, things like that. Type B trauma is things that happen to us that shouldn't. 
things that happen in the physical, we can see it, it happened to us, it's bad, it's outside of our control, it brings overwhelm, it completely can shatter us, it can knock the life out of us, but it's things that happen to us. So this is all the forms of abuse, sexual, emotional, mental, uh, physical, it's being hit, it's having an accident, car accident, it's um, being in a natural disaster, it's having a fire in your home, it's losing your job, it's losing all of your income, it's deaths. So any form of literal huge thing that happens in your life that um, you can see it, um, it wasn't expected, and it wins you, all right? So physical things, you can see it. I'm only keeping saying that a lot because type A trauma, you can't see it. Okay, so type B, it shouldn't happen. So, yeah, war trauma is the most extreme form of type B trauma. It usually has inside of it all the others, physical abuse, sexual loss of things, fires, blah, 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 blah. Any questions about a type B trauma? If anyone has been on the receiving end of any type B trauma, bullying, anything in the natural that's happening to us, it really impacts our hearts, impacts our spirit, it impacts us developmentally, it impacts us in every way. And how we responded to type B trauma is part of bad fruit that's going on in our life, okay? So the things that are on the top of the tree, often it's because of some original wounding or traumas that were the type B. Any questions about that so far? Type A is as impacting and type A is the lack of things that should have happened. It's the memory that never was. We are designed by God to be needy. Some of us have judged our need. We've been designed by God to be needy, and he designed it that our need would be met. Okay, so we're actually designed to have a lot of appropriate touch from our primary caregivers. Lots of it. Appropriate touch, nurturing, warm, inviting, beautiful, appropriate touch. We are designed to have lots of words of affirmation and destiny and encouragement spoken over us. We are designed for someone to be attuning to us, to knowing what's going on and who we are and sensing if we're struggling in a situation. We are designed by God to receive nurture. We're designed by God to receive protection, the physical presence of someone, lots of quality time, someone playing with us, knowing that we are seen and known and loved. We're designed to need someone enjoying us. Um, yeah, spending time, all of that sort of stuff, we're designed for it. But for some of us, we don't really know that we're supposed to have it because it just was missing. Maybe there was losses or we were in foster homes or there was just a sick parent who couldn't. But usually those of us who've had a lot of abandonment, so if there's been like left for days on end or just left because parents are at work and you just come home by yourself and just always by yourself or children should be seen and not heard and lots of don't speak and be away and you're annoying and be quiet and just be shut down and just be manageable and just be over there. If there was the lack of the good thing, that creates a trauma in us. And a lot of us don't know why we have bad fruit on our tree, but for a lot of us, the bad fruit is because unmet need is in the root system. So underground, there's the la if anything was lacking on that list, you can probably link it to something that's going on in your life. 
particular addictions. So if there's addictions in your life in any area, um, usually that one is rooted in unmet need. And if you could go after the trauma of unmet need, the addiction fruit would stop growing. I used to feel so guilty because I'm like, I'm spending time with God every day. I'm spending time with God every day. Um, Because isn't he the answer to our unmet need as we just go to him? Doesn't the church speak about that a lot? He's the only one you need. Don't desire a husband. Don't desire children. Don't desire A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, If you could just have more of God, you wouldn't have that propensity to the sexual addiction and you wouldn't be overeating and you wouldn't be in relationship addictions and you wouldn't shop so much if you just just had more of God and then you feel guilty because you do more of God and the addiction's still not changing and my journey through the trauma of unmet need the Lord really taught me he's like it's kind of like using me as a slot machine and it actually doesn't deal with the trauma of unmet need I'm not wanting to be the answer in that way instead of coming to me every day with your neediness so Imagine our heart is this chest, treasure chest, and our parents or caregivers, our main people growing up, especially zero to six, they're supposed to be filling it with that whole list of things. Every time they give us attention, lots and lots of attention, listen to us, uh, look at us, lots of touch, lots of time. It puts things in our treasure chest, and then we can be people as adults who walk into a church, and we're not like, everyone meet my need. Have you ever met any of them? They're so fun. And instead, <laughs> yeah, no one talked to me and no one's pastor didn't look at me. And you ever come across them or been one? <laughs> Those of us who um, didn't have that all filled have holes in the bottom. Okay, and so going to communities and going to churches, we either expect no one's ever going to meet my need anyway, so my treasure chest is staying shut closed and I'm not going to attach here, I'm not going to covenant to the church, I'm going to meet my own need and we stay a disconnected soul, or we are adults that are needy, so we're just like, meet my need, meet my need. But you didn't pray with me and you didn't pray for me and you didn't reach out and have coffee with me and I'm just hurt by everybody because no one's meeting my need. Um, um, because anyone who does give you a bit, it, it goes out the bottom. And the Lord was showing me that even my time with him, I'm like, I'm needy, I'm needy, time with God. And then by the next day, it's all gone out the the bottom and he's like I don't want to be the thing that you come to which is more and more time with me and you'll have no need just have me come and heal the trauma of unmet need so he wants to get into the root system and actually do the inner healing around the unmet need and patch up the holes and now my time with God every day isn't about patch up my 20 30 something 40 something years of unmet need please today and then I'll come back tomorrow for another 40 years worth it's I just come to you with today's, we do today's manner because there's enough manner for today because we healed yesterday. Does that make sense? And then we stop having people so ashamed that their quiet times aren't enough because it's not meeting all of my pain. It's because there's a trauma there. It is traumatic to have unmet need. And we have so many needy people in our workplaces and in our churches and on our teams. Um, It's why some people even come to churches because it's a community that has to take me on. Okay, so there's a hungry There's a hungry church out there. There's a hungry world out there. There's so much unmet need um, and lack and whole people groups and cultures where the kids are um, raised on their own. 
Um, so we get we have t tools for this. We have keys for this to heal the unmet need trauma that's in people. So type A trauma is the memory that never was. Very hard to identify if it's in us because there's no memory of it, except we can remember someone was maybe absent. But if we look at the fruit, we can usually tell there's unmet need trauma in our life because this and this sexual addiction, this and this eating, this and this relationship addiction, this and this insecurity. Insecurity is an attachment issue usually. Um, so there's lots of good outcomes for that. And then um, there's a whole uh, training around how to pray just into trauma. Some people literally just need someone to sit with them and pray for the healing of the wound. Too quickly we can jump into what's the method to get you free if this has been your brokenness and we skip the wound. And for some people, you actually just need to be able to share your pain. Okay, so for example, if Kajin was on the heart journey, if there's been deep wounding and deep trauma at some stage, Kajin just needs to say what happened. And that's part of the healing. Some of us have actually just never told our story. And to someone who will actually just listen and validate, and then maybe at the end of it, pray some healing to the wound. Because Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, not to rush over the brokenhearted and quickly deal with all of the concepts of getting free. We actually need to be comfortable to make space for people and to sit in people's pain. And some people actually just need to grieve for a season before we get up together and we do some of the inner healing work. Okay, so we don't want to skip the heart. Um, so... The story usually needs to be told at some stage and the pain needs to have a voice. A healed heart has a voice. A healed heart is a heart that's had a voice. And if the pain's not voiced, it's going to stay stuck in there. You're going to do the inner healing concepts and then it's going to resurface somewhere because it never got voiced. It never, the pain didn't get said. It didn't get cried. It didn't get written. It didn't get explored through art. Okay, so the pain's got to come out. And then we need to be people who can learn to pray for that healing balm and to pray into people's wounding and to play, pray um, healing trauma prayers. <laughs> healing trauma prayers involve um, praying even over the physical body because some of us are stuck in what's called a sympathetic state where we're stuck in fight, flight, flee, we're stuck in a, um, I need to protect my heart, people aren't safe, the world's not safe, and it's in our physical system, our limbic system, our nervous system, our adrenal, adrenal fatigue, um, lots of types of chronic fatigue, actually, um, health issues that are settled over the sexual organs or into our gut, often where fear resides, um, all sorts of physical issues. If we actually learned how to pray powerful healing trauma prayers, even over the, at the cellular level, because trauma gets can stick, get stuck at a cellular level, we can be a bride who can get the trauma out of people, and people can actually recover and get well and go and be people of great destiny. So these tools are really exciting. Elijah House has a whole healing trauma seminar where a lot of training into all of this is taught, including how trauma settles in the body. Um, there's a lot of the non-Christian books out there that teach the same concepts. The book, um, The Body Keeps the Score. There's very diff various different teachings out there that teach how trauma gets stuck in the body. But we can pray prayers to set the captives free. So that's very exciting. Cool. So I want to move beyond that into um, different principles of how to get free and to how to get the fruit to stop growing at the top of the tree if it's sucky fruit. 
the church has done a great job of teaching about forgiveness. So I'm just going to very quickly recap that. But pretty much possibly for some, the rest of the things on the chart have not been taught a lot by the church. And yet they keep us stuck just as much as unforgiveness do. In fact, the danger is if we're only teaching on forgiveness, then people are like, why aren't I free? Because I forgave. And they're like, well, I am healed because I forgave. Healing and forgiveness are two different things. You can forgive and still have a broken heart. Healing is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not healing. Forgiveness is releasing the bitterness towards someone. doesn't mean the wound's cleaned up or that the healing has happened. Okay, so healing and forgiveness are two different things. But you can't heal without the forgiveness as part of the journey. All right? So when we do the forgiveness journey with people, there can be all sorts of people where that deep forgiveness needs to be released. Some people feel guilty because they forgave, but nothing changed. Forgiveness is a process, and it can sometimes take many, 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 you know, 70 times seven times that we need to do it. When we're journeying with someone, usually there's areas with mom or with dad where there's a primary need to release some forgiveness. This can be a sticky point for Christians, especially if they've got Christian parents who they do honour or who have parents who've passed away. Because we're like, well, I can't dishonor them, so I can't say what hurt my heart. But we just need to go, dishonor is a sin. Remember the four laws, honor your mother and father. Assessing truth about what happened is different to dishonor. You have whole culture groups who dishonoring your parents is a no-no. They can be very hard to do inner healing with because they feel to say anything negative about mom or dad is, to, is dishonor. What we're talking about here is maintaining honor, but there's a difference between judging and assessing. Judgment is bitterness, okay? Assessing is, I don't have any bitterness in my heart, but factually, this is what happened. They were absent. They did drink. Bitterness and judgment they are abusive. They are an alcoholic. Lots of things about their identity. An assessment, they are a child of the Lord, but they did get drunk. They did hit. They did fight. They did. Okay, so you have to be able to verbalize assessed facts to, to acknowledge things that were missing and things that happened because we want to work in truth. Okay? Denial is another form of bad fruit. Denial is a very big one. Christians love denial. Let's just go into religion instead of the truth. Uh, denial is to minimize things that happen to us. That's a form of denial. This is what actually happened. We make it this big so our little hearts can cope with it. <sighs> things weren't that bad. It was just this. And he only did it when he was angry. And they didn't mean to. And we make everything little so we can cope with the fact that that actually happened. That's denial. Another form of denial is justification, just as if it didn't happen. And we excuse. They didn't mean to because they were this, and I didn't mean to because I was that. And we excuse everybody. And I was a bad kid anyway. To justify someone's behavior is another way that we try and not put dishonor on our parents, but we can't work in deception and denial. Okay, so justification is bad fruit. Blame is another form of denial. Everyone else is the bad guys. Um, forgetting is a form of denial, not remembering the bad thing, um, and then outright denial that something ever happened and literally 
complete dissociation from those memories is another form of denial. We don't want to be in denial. We want to say what it is, and we need to. It's very painful, but we need to make the thing the size that it was and get out of minimizing and excusing and justifying because we can work in truth. Scripture says in his light we see light. We need to work in the truth, and then we will have the freedom because if we can make it the size that it was and have the healing to that magnitude, we can have the breakthrough to that magnitude. But anything we keep hidden and anything we keep small um, we can't get the breakthrough in. So don't confuse dishonor with assessing the truth and saying what, what happened. Okay? Cool. So there's usually a road of forgiving, in particular mom and dad. It might have been granddad. It might have been teacher. Whoever the list was, I've got mother, father there. Um, we need to then release forgiveness. There's usually three categories of forgiving that we need to walk out. Most of us have learned we need to forgive others. That's category number one. Some of us have never forgiven ourselves for situations we got caught up in, for things we did, for missing our own kids' hearts, for um, for driving into someone, for causing a death, for things we've done. If we could get into some letting ourselves off the hook because his blood was enough, um, or do we just put him back on the cross because his blood wasn't actually enough for me, but he definitely came to forgive the rest of the world. We either appropriate his blood and we take ourselves off the hook as well or his blood wasn't enough. It's one or the other. We've got to do some self-forgiveness. A third one which can sound a bit weird is a lot of us actually need to forgive the Lord. Did he do anything wrong? No. But another topic in Elijah House is um, our relationship with God and issues in our relationship with God often have to do with projecting our parental issues or issues with leadership and authority onto God. And sometimes it's only when we're in a very, very hard season of life that some real anger comes up with the Lord. Um, it's called a crisis of your faith. Have you ever been to that place? It's scary to get to the end. I remember when I got to the end of my faith, I was like, I'm just going to sleep with my Bible in my arms for a few nights because I'm walking away from the problem in my life. I was just so mad and just so livid with him. And it scared me that I got to the end of my faith. Like, I'm like, we're kind of a little bit done. So it got to the point of, I'm even going to sleep holding my Bible because you've got to hold on to me because I can't even hold on to you. We are at that place. And then it was having some prayer ministry and someone helping me in that time and coming through what we're going to get onto, which is uh, judgments, that I realized I had 76 judgments about God. None of them were good. That's quite a lot. And I never knew one of them was in there. Never knew I had to forgive him for anything. Why would I have to forgive him? He's perfect. He's good. He's holy. But we have what's called a believing part of our heart and an unbelieving part of our heart. So we get saved as a Christian, and positionally we're saved, and we're all saved, and it's completely done at the cross, and it's completely done. But the work of transformation is finding more and more parts in our heart that need saving. And that evangelizing the unbelieving part of our hearts is the, the heart journey. The more we get into it, the more we believe, oh, I don't actually believe I'm amazing. And actually, I believe when it gets to the worst times, God doesn't come through for me. And actually, I think men are a bit sucky and weak. And actually, and there's all this un, unredeemed parts of our heart that don't match up with Scripture. And we don't even look at them as Christians because 
everything's good and wonderful until we're in a crucible of pain in our life. But actually, we all have a believing and an unbelieving part of my of our hearts. In that moment where I walked away, I didn't walk away from God. I was very tempted. I'm like, we're at the membrane. <laughs> what are you going to do? My dad was that desperate. He's like, my, sis, my daughter is about to lose her faith. He reached out to a prophet in another nation. He contacted this prophet in another nation. And he's like, prophesy over my daughter. She's about to walk away from the Lord. And he said, yes, I'll meet with her. And the Skype was set up and I sat down and I'm like, what are you going to do? And he said, the Lord told me you have a divided heart. I'm like, oh, what? Do you know how faithful I've been? It's me we're talking about. A divided heart? Squalor, you deceitful prophet person who thinks you're a prophet. Good, God bless you. And I went back to my room and I'm like, divided heart, is that even scriptural? And I got on my bed with the Bible I'd been sleeping with. And I'm like, flipped it open in that thing that you do sometimes. And I flipped it open and it opened at Psalm, I think it was 86. Is that where it is? David's praying. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Oh, I know, God. This is in every second chapter of the Bible. I just happened to turn to it again. It's everywhere. Googled, where does it say undivided heart and divided heart? Only twice in the whole Bible does it refer to it. And it's saying, he's praying, give me an undivided heart so that I might stay faithful to you. And so I'm like, I think there's something in this. I have a divided heart. Which sent me on a whole journey of what is a divided heart and realizing most Christians have one. We have this believing side, and all the scriptures say in the heart we believe. Some of us have learnt the mind is where we do the thinking, and the heart is where we have the emotions. That's not what the Bible says. It's in our heart we believe. And that's the root system, is what did we come to believe about ourselves? What did we come to believe about God in the trauma and the wounding? What did we come to believe about men and women and people and the world? And the belief is in the heart. And that's why we need to go on a heart journey and actually come out and unlearn some things and start to learn the believing that's actually in the word. So a lot of us have unbelieving parts of our heart. And so the heart journey is transformation. It's evangelizing the unbelieving parts of our heart. Does that make sense? So we're actually, if we're inner healers, we're little evangelists as well. But not to the absolute salvation of someone coming to know the Lord, but to someone coming out of unbelief and into belief. And some of us need to forgive God for some things because we don't actually believe that he'll actually come through. But that's because a parent never did at some stage in some situation or the teacher never stopped the bad thing. Someone never stopped something. Something didn't break through. So there's a little corner of our heart when things are hard that actually don't know if he will do it. Will he provide financially? Does the fear come up when you don't have work? Or did you just learn that God provides? So wherever the unbelief is, that's where the wounding and trauma will be linked to it. So we need to become evangelized and come to believe the truth experientially, not by just plopping the word of God on top of everything. We can just say more scripture and just declare it and name it and claim it. Yeah, but do that after you've renounced all of the unbelief that's in the heart journey. Do the heart first and get the unbelief out. Then put all of the scripture of the word in. Then the truth can actually take root instead of feeling guilty that you're naming it and claiming it and saying all the scriptures and nothing's changing. Does that make sense? Cool. I need some water after all that action. Greg.
Great question. So Greg's saying, how is it forgiving God if I have an incorrect perception of who he is? Because we have the, the journey of forgiving is releasing bitterness from our heart. So what when it comes to God, what some of us need to do is actually release the forgiveness, as in release the bitterness, release the wounding against him. Not only do we renounce the lie that he was absent, but actually the bitterness we had towards him, we need to release that, which is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't pronouncing that the other person was bad, but I forgive them anyway. Forgiveness is releasing the bitterness. Okay, So we need to sometimes release bitterness towards him, and that's what forgiving God means. Awesome. Let's move along. 20 more minutes? I don't have time for questions, or I can break it and do it next week. Okay, bitter root judgment. So you heard, I've got a few bosses now, Brad. Sometimes I say Breg and Grad. <laughs> Mix your names up. Brad was talking about one of the four laws is judge and you will be judged. Okay, so in our root system, if there is what's called a bitter root judgment, and this is another 50-minute teaching, if there is a bitter judgment about someone left unresolved somewhere in our history, at some stage it will come back to bite us in the derriere. It is scriptural. We either become the thing we judged or we draw it to us. For example, I judge that the father is absent alcoholic. I either become absent or alcoholic or have a propensity to an addiction or I marry one. Okay, so some of us literally were raised in a home where dad was always working and absent, and then we've married someone who's stuck in a workaholic. We marry what we judged. And if some of us would just do the work of repenting and renouncing those judgments of the former trauma, our partner suddenly is released to choose us instead of choosing work. We actually can defile someone underneath because the law is we will be judged for the very same thing. So a lot of marriage issues are people reaping what they sowed in dishonor early on. Their dating goes well, <laughs> the engagement goes okay, and then suddenly once you're married, the fruit starts, the reaping, because you become mum and dad, which is the thing you judged. Especially once children are born, the reaping gets really strong. And if you judged it early on, the reaping, once you become mum and dad, you start the reaping. But it wasn't there in the dating. We've had some people in one of the Elijah House teachers, he was like, so then these people divorced and then they got along again. And so then they end up remarrying and then the reaping started again. So then they got divorced and then they were dating again. They're like, how come it's better when we're not connected? It's like, because you're reaping judgments. The fruit comes out at some stage. Okay. So it's another whole teaching, but really a lot of us have fruit on the tree because we judge someone who was doing that thing. And mom or dad or a teacher or a granddad had this fruit on their tree. And now in our life, this is either on our marriage tree or in our parenting tree. We become the screamer that our mother was or blah, 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 or impatient. Whatever it is we dishonored, we might be getting along with them now as an adult and we don't dishonor our parents. Everything's fine. Oh, they've even forgiven and everything. But did you repent of the six-year-old dishonor and the 12-year-old rebellion and how you thought about them when you were 15? If your perception and your opinion of your parents at age 15 had any negative bitterness in it and that hasn't been renounced, you're probably going to reap it later in a marriage, in a work environment. If you've got a boss, if you have this pattern and bosses are always just hard on you, there's probably a bitterness towards an original authority figure that they are hard on you. 
Okay, so you usually draw to you the thing that you judged early on. So early judgments, bitter judgments need to be uh, renounced and repented of and brought to death on the cross and taken axe to the root. And then the reaping stops. It's really fun. Okay, literally if you sit with your partner, if you're married, and you track what things do we have going on that we've had in either my parents or your parents or some authority figure in our life, you'll find there's some things that are on both lists. This judgment's in play. Get the judgments down and new fruit can form. All right? So that's the bitter root judgment one. Similar to bitter root judgment is what's called a bitter root expectancy. It's another thing in the root system. A bitter root expectancy is based on a bitter root judgment. A bitter root judgment is dad is bad. Okay, so dad is an absent alcoholic and he's weak. That's what I judged often because it was true. Um, then I start to generalize that of, of men in general. I think it's called perpetual bias or something like that. But anytime we then make, and everyone's like that one thing, that's called a bitter expectancy. So men will always be weak and men will always be absent and be addicted to things. And then that expectation ends up being like a self-fulfilled prophecy and you keep encountering people and tempting them to be that very same thing. Okay, So it's when you generalize over a bigger group, you need to be careful. Do I have judgments of women? Do I have judgments of men? Do I have judgment of... So it's fun when you get into churches because usually projected issues go on to the pastor or the main male or any strong females. If you had judgments over some strong female because your mum was strong and controlling and whatever, then you're in a church and there's a strong female who's just raised strong by the Lord and she's taking on the nation and you're like, all this bad stuff comes up in your heart um, because it's, it's a bitter expectancy. She's going to control me. She's going to cut me down. She's going to be sharp because we expect of the future what happened in the past. Okay, so it's something that we do. It's more of a psychological thing. Um, that's why people don't attach to churches. So the wounding, bullying with friends, and no one wanting to be with you, sibling pain. The judgment, people aren't safe. Vulnerability is not safe. Friendships are not safe. They're bad. People can't be trusted. The expectation later in life, people will always be like that. Friendships will always be bad, blah, blah, blah. People come into church. Oh, there's a lot of people here. I'm not going to be friends here because friendships are bad. Vulnerability is bad. And so people can't attach to churches because they're inside of an expectation from some earlier traumas. Okay, so we need to get those expectations down so we can have healthy attachments with our partners and not be judging that. The woman is this and the man is that and children are this and bosses are this and churches are this and ministries are this. We need to not have expectations of the future based on bitter things we have from the past. Does that make sense? So then we, we need to confess that we have those in play and renounce them. And each of these things with, you know, as the scripture says, when we confess with our mouths and to each other and the Lord will come and forgive us and clean us okay, and heal our hearts. So we need to confess these expectancies and judgments and we renounce that they're true and we renounce their power and we bring them to death at the cross. And the scripture says you take an axe to the root of it, the original trauma. Inner vows, hearts of stone and inner vows. One of the biggest, biggest topics and the biggest, biggest ways that we're impacted in life is that at some stage we learn to harden our heart. Everyone on the universe has a heart that's slightly harder than how you were born. 
okay? Because to survive in a sin-filled world, you need to sort of toughen up a little bit, we believe. So there's no one that's escaped hardening their heart. However, if there's only a little bit of toughening and robustness and resilience, then we can have intimacy and the flow of relational connection and bonding, bonding with partners, bonding with friends, bonding with churches, bonding with work colleagues and secure and safe attachments and relationships. People who've had to learn to really harden their heart, what does a baby do when there's trauma? Can they move out and go live with a safe person? Can they run away from the bottles being thrown around the house? Can they feed themselves in the neglect that's going on? What can a child do when there's trauma and they're a dependent? And they can cry and then they learn to stop crying because no one's coming. The only thing a young person can do is harden their heart. You can't do anything on the outside, you're too little. But on the inside, oh, this whole world of being able to literally clam up, shut down, don't let anyone in, trust myself only. And we become these really hard-hearted individuals from quite early on. That's a coping mechanism. And you know what? The Lord gave it to us. The Lord designed that man can harden their heart to protect themselves. Isn't that crazy? Because he gave it to us as a protective mechanism. But in scripture, it says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. I have to protect my heart. I have to shut down. I have to have no feelings. I have to not attach. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I become a man, I put childish things behind me. But a lot of us have become adults and we've not put those childish coping mechanisms away and we're still protecting our heart in the same way. And we have hearts of stone and we're not able to bond. And these are marriages where one is this fortress and the other one's like Indians running around it with arrows of connection. Please bond with me, please bond with me. And it's just this fortress, okay? We become fortresses earlier. It does not work in adult life. That has to go. That's bad fruit, okay? We'll have children trying to bond with us. We'll have churches trying to bond with us, but we are just uh, a fortress, okay? The fortress needs to come down. We don't need it anymore, all right? Um, the way that we harden our heart is through what's called inner vows. Those are deep determinations to, and the list is really, really long, and usually starts with, I will always, or I will never. So it's usually like, I will never... Let a woman know my thoughts. Why do you have that inner vow? Because you judged women to be critical. Why did you do that? Because you had wounding and you had a critical mum who would ask what's going on in your heart and then criticise you and was always criticising you, pecking you, putting you down. So you've hardened your heart and over here you have vows not to be known by a woman and then you marry and there's this isolation and there's this struggle going on. Okay. I will never trust people. I will never be vulnerable. A lot of us have that one. I will always look after everyone. So anyone parentally inverted probably has that inner vow. Any coping mechanisms to keep you safe usually have I will always or I will never. And they're deep determinations. Um, I will never have needs. And then some of us are stuck in addictions because... We chose to not have needs because no one was meeting our needs and so we just don't have a heart and we don't have a need and we don't have feelings, but we're actually starving and we're in this double bind. Need, I have needs, feed me, feed me. I don't have needs, I won't have feelings. So a lot of people have put their feelings in a box and they live life without them because that was too painful because they're sensitive. A lot of men and women are born sensitive. How does a sensitive person survive a house of chaos? By not having a heart anymore. 
Some people have literally divorced themselves from their own heart. Okay? Um, I will always be in control. That's another one. I will always know what's going on. I will, so all the hypervigilance that some people are stuck in, that's all vows. I will always be alert. Some people never really sleep. They can't rest. They can't turn the alarms off. That's all inner vows, to be on guard, to be on watch, to always know what's happening, to keep safe, to keep others safe. All of these coping mechanisms that come in early, some of us are living with them as adults, and all of it's bad fruit. Okay? They're all inner vows because we wanted to harden our heart. That's another big topic on its own. Huge freedoms, especially in intimacy issues, happen if both can go after. Both friends, both partners, both child and mum can go after the vows of distance that usually happen with a hardened heart. And then lastly, foundational lies. So the topic of shame. In a wounding or in a trauma, especially an unmet need, a lot of people have foundational lies, so lies about your worth, lies about your value if there was abandonment because there's a deep embarrassment because no one stayed or someone left. They wouldn't have left if I was so bad or I'm not worth having time with. So a lot of absence from a parent creates um, that insecurity and those foundational lies. Um, so can being shamed at school, being laughed at, the teacher telling you you're dumb, a parent telling you you're dumb, kids telling you you're ugly, you're Fatty boom boom, whatever, whatever. Um, Any time you learnt, I am something, I'm too much. You heard that from your parents. I'm too much, I talk too much, I'm something too much. Or I'm not enough of something. You're not good enough, you're not talented enough, you're not strong enough. You know, man up. You're just such a, a wuss and such a whatever. You're learning you're not enough. It's like hardly going to thrive under that. Any time you're, you're learning you're not enough from a situation, verbally or experientially, or that you're too much of something, you're going to probably create what's called a foundational lie, which means in the weft of your weave, in the foundation of who you are, you probably come into agreement with lies and with the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, that you are less than. And then often can become a shamed-based person in life, not just living boldly and confidently. And you struggle with confidence, lots of insecurity. Do you know the difference between shame and guilt? Excellent. Okay, so shame because you learned I am something or I am not something. Shame is I am bad and I am gross and I am ugly and I am stupid and I'm not enough. Any sentences like that that ring true on the inside, that's shame. Guilt is a gift because guilt says I did wrong. Shame says I am wrong. Okay, so what we need is guilt. We need the gift of guilt. Anything that we've done that's sin, we need guilt. Guilt is our friend. But guilt takes us to the cross. You can tell if guilt's guilt because it's taking you towards Jesus, towards brothers and sisters in Christ. You can confess your sin. So we need guilt. It, we need a conscience that's not seared. But true guilt takes us to the cross and it gets left at the cross. And our sin is now far away, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us and we are now white as snow. So we need the gift of guilt. Anytime it's not guilt and it's shame, it takes us away from the cross. And it means we want to hide and we want to take away from people in the church and teammates and blah, 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 blah. So this creates isolation. This takes running to the cross with confession. And we don't want to be people who are stuck in shame going, I am bad. We want to be people who are confessing at the cross, I did bad, and then get forgiveness. I did wrong, confess it. 
come back to your true identity in Christ, not I am wrong because of what happened to me. In particular, people who've been in sexual abuse situations, lots of things get learnt in those encounters. I am dirty. I am worthless. I am naughty. I am promiscuous. I am disgusting. Okay, so the foundational lies are a real big part of why some people have bad fruit in their life. And it's our great honour to set the captives free when it comes to those areas as well. So that's some of the basics of the inner healing and some of the basics of what can be in the root system, creating some of the fruit. And it's our honour to walk people through these. Questions? Anyone have any questions off the back of any of that before we finish for today? And we'll do round two next week. Anyone got any questions? Microphone? I'll give it a go. Who has a question? Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening and for the honour of your ears. Um, so a lot of those topics could have pricked at stuff in some of our hearts, regardless of whether we've done some recovery for a long time. So last week someone asked an amazing question of how can we just make sure we're not navel-gazing and that we're not just getting stuck in looking over our shoulder and being introspective and getting stuck in recovery. We don't look at anything in the past unless it's still bearing fruit in our current life, okay? Because we don't need to go back and the cross covered it all and it's all done. But if there's still bad fruit in our life, that means it's not done and it's not in the past. It means it's alive and it's... It's a live wire. And so that's the Lord's invitation, because he's showed all the ways in the word, to go backwards to just that root and to really deal with that root, bring it to death, take an axe to it, and then go forward again. So we don't stay there. But the answer to that question, as well as every good thing Brad answered, is only go after what's still a live fruit. And let the past be the past in other areas and move forward in those areas, okay? But some of what I touched on today, sometimes when you hear content like this, it actually validates pain that you've been in, especially with the unmet need conversation. Um, to go through these topics is to validate things that a lot of us have survived or endured or whatever. So I'm just wondering if with your permission I could just pray a covering over our hearts because some of you aren't necessarily going straight from this to then having some ministry into that area and we don't want to just leave you feeling like a well had the lid popped off and then there's all this black water in there that you're driving home with to yourself. Um, so if you don't want those healing prayers over your heart, just know you're welcome to just go, cool, I put the cross between her and I, and Lord, we're good. But if your heart would like that prayer for me, then it was me and my heart honor to just pray some prayers over the room, which I'll just do right now. Is that okay? Cool. So if you want to receive that, just open your heart to the Lord, and we're just going to pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of truth. Some of us have identified pain as being bad um, and we need to get away from it. But Father, there's um, a process of recovery where we sometimes need to embrace the fireball of pain um, because there's a glory in it and there's a work that you do in it because sometimes there's a shard of glass inside of us and the skin needs to be cut open to get it out because it was many, many, many years ago. 
and some of us are walking around and doing life and doing marriage and doing parenting and doing work and doing ministry and the shards are deep inside and the skin is all fine and you know it was a long time ago but our encounters with people are metaphorically our hugs with people our interactions with people set those glass bits off inside of us every now and again and tonight might have been one of those moments lord where the glass just got a bit squeezed deep inside and so lord the heart journey can involve you needing your beautiful safe scalpel to actually go can we just get it out this time rather than just coping another year and lord that can be scary I don't know anyone who's not scared of a scalpel. But Lord, you are so masterful at healing. You literally came for this. You said in your word, you came to set the captives free and to bind up the brokenhearted. You know how to do it safely and and well. Um, and you know why people are stuck. Lord, we mentioned all of this bad fruit. And so many of us in the room have one or more of those things on our tree or in our marriage, or in our parenting, or in our relationship with the church. But you know how to bring that thing to death. Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us courage and the know-how and the people and the resources? And would you make it safe? doesn't mean it'll be comfortable. We like comfort. We're not going after comfort. We're going after healing. And they're two different things. But on the other side of healing is true comfort. So, Lord, would you help us to leave our false comforts and our coping mechanisms and our addictions and walk towards the comforter in an uncomfortable way and allow you into all of those spaces, Lord, and into that pain and into the lack and into the bad places and the things and the memories so that we can get to the place of true comfort through true healing. You know how to recover your bride. You know how to clean her dress. You know how to stitch her up. You know how to wash her feet. You know how to bring the torment out. You know how to bring your shalom peace. And so I just pray for your shalom peace to hover over this room right now like a brooding hen. I just pray your shalom peace over this room right now in the name of Jesus. I just pray your healing balm of Gilead. We just come into every wound that's being brought up to the surface this evening. We thank you for the glory of truth and the glory of the pain coming to the surface. It doesn't mean we need to be re-traumatized, and it doesn't mean we're going backwards, even to things we might have thought we resolved with you. To go forwards is sometimes to go through. And so, Lord, would you give us the wisdom, and would you give us the resources, and would you give us the heart medics that are around, Father, to come all the way through into true recovery. We want the good fruit. We want to be a bride that is known for the way that we love each other, as the scripture says. But some of our bad fruit is getting in the way. Lord, I just pray that you would put a, a seal on any work that you started in any hearts today or any work you continued in any hearts today. Lord, where they might be returning to needing to parent or to a partner or to a stressful work situation tomorrow or they're returning to the aloneness tonight father i just pray that you'd put a your hand and your seal and that you would just cover it up in a way that it can be sorted at the right time and would you make it safe for everyone to re-enter that they would drive home with this hope that there's answers that there's keys that no one's stuck in the kingdom 
no one's, they can feel stuck and there is stuckness, but positionally none of us are stuck because there's an answer for absolutely everything and everyone. And no one is too far gone and no one is too stuck for the shepherd because you know where your sheep are and you go after the one. And every one of us is a heart that you will go after into the thorny brambles and you know how to set free. And all we need to do is invite you into the process and you are the one who comes and you're the one who does and you're the rescuer and you're the comforter and you're the prince of peace and you're the healer. It's all by you and through you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just continue to massage hearts to life that have been numb and dead for many years. Even in their sleep, Lord, that there'd be dreams and encounters of you coming after and bringing hearts to life. Lord, we want every heart awake, alive, healed, whole, and running into their destiny. Everyone up, no one left behind. And I thank you for that's possible in you. I just pray for a thick blanket of hope to just cover every heart and every family and every hard relationship every tricky marriage every painful parenting situation every devastating loss every unresolved grief everything that feels hopeless I just thank you that there's only hope in you we just tuck every hopeless situation every addiction even though we've given up we just just can't keep trying we tuck everything under your hope everything under your hope tonight father and we just commit everyone in this room to you until we meet again next week in jesus name amen bless you thank you for your trust she's pretty awesome isn't she amazing we're blessed to have you here, Amy, have you in this city, and, uh, and we're, just, uh, we're just really excited, I think, because we've journeyed for, for so many years and seen so much breakthrough, to have people from uh, other communities, other denominations, just other believers in the city, to be able to kind of access these tools that can bring real radical transformation for people. We're, so we're just excited to be able to serve um, the, the wider body, and we hope that there's more opportunity for that and uh, and that this just spreads because we uh, we just want to see people healed and restored and transformed i think it's jesus is what he died for um and it's what he longs for so thank you for giving up uh your time on a, on a wednesday to come uh, if you um want to re-watch it look at it later on so if you just if you go onto youtube and it's on it'll be posted on the paradox church youtube page which is like youtube.com forward slash paradox church if you search that way, um, but also on like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, if you just search for Paradox Church, it'll be, the audio version will be under that, um, so you can listen again, share it around, do all that sort of stuff, um, but yeah, we bless you as you go, safe travels, and we'll uh, see you next week.